0: As complex as each and every person is that you and I will ever meet, and as complex as each and every life is, the truth is some of our lives can be summed up at times with one word. And that's what this series is about. Uh, each week we've looked at just one word that can kind of summarize where we're at, and today we come to an unusual word, the word if. Um, It's usually attached to a second word that gets you thinking at least in the direction we're going. It's usually attached to if only, but let me help you further. If. If I would have never tried it the first time. If I just hadn't have said that. If I just hadn't have done it. This is where we're going. Sometimes a whole life can be described by if. If. It's a guy named Anthony Bourdain, he was a you know, celebrity chef, and he was doing an interview in the Men's Journal back in 2014. And he is known as a hedonist. Hedonism is the belief that pleasure is the ultimate value in life, that seeking my own self-gratification without any boundaries or any shame is the highest good. And Anthony Bourdain was a hedonist. And they were asking him in his Men's Journal interview, 2014, they said, you know, do you think there's any benefits in being a hedonist? And also, do you feel like there's any risks? Well, as he went on with the conversation, it inevitably went over into the area of regrets. And his word about regret, he said, regret is something you've got to just live with. You can't drink it away. You can't run away from it. You can't trick yourself out of it. You've just got to own it. He goes on. I've disappointed and hurt people in my life, and that's just something I'm going to have to live with. You eat that guilt, and you live with it, and you own it. You own it for life. The if of regret. If and regret are partners. Now, Anthony Bourdain, many of you know, June the 8th of 2018... Committed suicide at age 61, at the height of his success. Involved in a relationship that he said was one of the more satisfying ones of his life. But he committed suicide. New York City, at uh, a square, a little square called Lieutenant Petrocino Square in New York City, they put up a board, some folks put up a board where people could just anonymously write out their big regret. The if and the regret, they go together. Here's some of the things they wrote on the board. Now, I want to suggest, by the way, that I don't believe for one second that these were the biggest regrets that people had. I think they were the kind of regrets that you dare write in public. But nevertheless, some of us can identify with some of these. List of biggest regrets. Burning bridges. And by the way, let me show you how the if attaches to this. If I hadn't burned those bridges. Never speaking up. If... I would have just spoken up. Not being a good husband if I would have just been a better husband. Should have spent more time with the family if I would have spent more time with the family. Staying in my comfort zone. You kind of get the idea. These are regrets. Let me go to the second sheet. Not saying I love you. Never applying to med school. Not making the most of every day. Not being a better friend. If only I'd been... A better friend, this is how the if and the regret go together. so we 're really talking about the idea of regret, and regret is not something foreign to anybody in this room. there's not a person alive that doesn't experience in this world of ours, in this life of ours, some regret. There are some things we did that we wish we could call back. There are some things we said we wish we would have never said. There are some things we wish we had have done that we didn't do and so forth. And that's all part of this this if cycle. And this if cycle can be really kind of crippling if we don't understand the way that God would want us to handle it. And we're going to look at a portion of Scripture in the Old Testament, and it's on page 855 in His Bibles in the New Year on the chairs, and I would like you to go ahead and turn there. We'll read several Scriptures, and we're in the book of Jeremiah, and while you're turning there, I'll kind of give you some background. I mentioned the book of Jeremiah last week, but I'll, uh, I'll say a little bit more about it. Now, when you read the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel has existed as a kingdom for about 470 years or so. And it's about to come to an end. Jeremiah ministers to the southern kingdom of Israel, the the tribes of Benjamin and Judah. He ministers to them for 42 years. For 42 years, he basically has one message. God keeps telling him to tell the people one thing. And the thing that God keeps telling him to tell the people is, You've got to turn around. You've got to come back to me, my people. You've got to start aligning your lifestyle with my word and my will. When God started them as a nation, they were to be a revelatory nation. Randy, what do you mean, revelatory nation? They were to be a nation that God was going to give His word to, and as the people of Israel lived in accord with His word, the rest of the nations would have revealed for them what God was like. And God made a, a covenant with them, a bargain with them. He said, Look, If you live in alignment with my will and my word so that people can see what kind of a person, what kind of a God I really am, well, I'll protect you from other nations and I'll bless you and I'll prosper you. But if you don't, if you start giving a discordant or an altogether erroneous picture of me because of your antagonism to my word of will or or your neglect for my word of will well then I won't protect you anymore from other nations nor will I bless your crops and so on so it made perfect sense he couldn't keep protecting and blessing them if they were projecting an image of God that was utterly false so when you come to the book of Jeremiah this nearly 500 year uh, year era of the kingdom era for Israel was about to come to an end jeremiah has the most miserable ministry of anybody in the bible he he ministers for 42 years and he ends up a complete flop if you want to look at uh external success as a measure because no one listens to him 42 years he keeps saying god's telling me to tell you and the people keep saying we don't care we don't care we don't care we're going to do it our way we don't care what you say we don't care what god says we're going to do it our way 42 years And it does not end well. Now, you know and I know that God doesn't measure by exterior success. He measures by faithfulness. By that standard, Jeremiah was an extraordinary success in the sight of God. He did just what God wanted him to do. But it was a tough ministry. So with that bit of a background, let's pick up in Jeremiah 7. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. Then we're going to jump to verse 13. And then from there to 27 and 28. It says, The Lord said to Jeremiah... Stand in the gate of the Lord's temple and proclaim this message. Listen, all you people of Judah who have passed through these gates to worship the Lord. Hear what the Lord has to say. The Lord God of Israel, who rules over all, says, Change the way you have been living and do what is right. If you do, I will allow you to continue to live in this land. Stop putting your confidence in the false belief that says we are safe the temple of the Lord is here the temple of the Lord is here the temple of the Lord is here I didn't mean to read your verse 4 but it's okay let's go on to verse 13 You also have done all these things and if you're wondering what things they've done you can read it on your own sometime in the verses that preceded verse 5 and 6 and so on that they, they were really behaving horribly He says you have also done all these things says the Lord and I have spoken to you over and over again but you have not listened you have refused to respond when i called you to repent to repent means to change their behavior let's go on to verse 27 then the lord said to me now the lord is talking to jeremiah when you tell them all this they will not listen to you when you call out to them they will not respond to you So tell them, this is a nation that has not obeyed the Lord their God and has not accepted, what is the word? Correction. Faithfulness is nowhere to be found in it. These people do not even profess it anymore. And so the story ends poorly because after 40 years of warning... They refused to listen, and God finally allows the Babylonians to come conquer them. And the Babylonians come in three waves. Even with that, God was giving them space to turn around. They first came in 605 B.C., and they did tremendous damage. and carried off many of the Israelites to other conquered countries that the Babylonians had conquered. They came back again in 597 because the Israelites still weren't listening. They took more. They did more damage. But then... Because the Israelites refused ultimately to listen ever. In 586 they came and this time they burned the temple to the ground. They destroyed Jerusalem and they just utterly wasted the people and the land. So bad did the siege become that Israelite people were eating their children. So bad did it become. So this is the downside of the story. So this is a big if. If they would have listened if they would have received correction, if just once they would have considered to humble themselves and listen to the loving pleas of their Creator. None of it had to happen. None of this, none of this destruction would have had to happen. When you get to the book of Lamentations, which is also by Jeremiah, the whole book is just him looking at all the devastation and just weeping and mourning over what was left. So, if was... Kind of the the word that that best characterized that portion of history in Israel's uh, experience. So what I want to do with you now is let's examine for ourselves the regret-filled if cycle. And regret and if, like I said, are always close together. And sometimes it's if only that goes with it. In the book of Lamentations that I was talking to you about, Jeremiah once again says this. He says, I'm deprived of peace. This is as he's looking at all the damage that never had to be. Thinking to himself, if only. If only they would have listened. I'm deprived of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. My endurance has expired. I've lost all hope. I continually think about this and I am depressed. Now, Jeremiah's depression was over something a little bit different. The damage was done and he knew that it didn't have to be done. But when you or I go into this, if only or if cycle that regret cycle we often sink in depression too now I'm going to say something I said in the first service to you I believe with all my heart in fact let me go further I know I know I know that for some of you this could be a completely life-changing day I know that God means it to be a life-changing day for some of you some of you have been locked in this cycle for a long long time you are still with the if. If I hadn't have done this, if I hadn't have started that, if I would have thought a little longer, if I would have made a better choice, if, if only, if, if only, if, if only. Some of you have lived there. Listen, don't we all say this at times? If I knew then what I know now. If you or I continue to say that, We will stay poisoned in our present, deprived of the future God would have us to have, and peace and joy will be experiences that we'll never experience. You must, I must, eliminate forever. Don't think of that phrase fondly. Don't think of it as being clever. Don't think of it as solving anything. In fact, what it does is it intensifies and intensifies our trouble and our pain and keeps us locked into that cycle of if-only regret. It makes it impossible to seize what we actually have and live it to the fullest the way that God would have us to and experience joy within it. But as long as we insist on living in that if-only, that's where we stay, in a subtle, slow state of kind of negative emotions, depression, and we're kind of paralyzed. Listen, have, have you ever made the mistake before of you're, you're walking, you're walking forward, but something catches your attention, and so you're, you're looking behind like this. How many have ever done that? Can you see your hands? To be honest, how many have ever bumped into something that way or, or tripped? Yes. Living with the if-only regret cycle. It's like walking through life, always doing this, always doing this. You just keep stumbling over more things. You get bumps, you get bruises, and you're not even aware why. You're, you're hinged to the past. So it's impossible to live in the present, much less to construct the future God wants. Here's some of the problems that comes with the if-only cycle. The if-or-regret cycle keeps us what? Chained Chained to what? Chained to the past. The rest of you guys with me on this? Can you see it okay? Is it on the screen? All right, all right. We're going to try that one more time. The if-or-regret cycle keeps us what? Chained to the past. Yeah, 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 not just chained. Chained to the one more time. Okay, it's important you understand that because as long as you or I are knowingly or unknowingly chained to our past, you cannot live efficiently in the present much less construct the kind of future that God wants us to have. Here's what it does. It poisons our present and it can deprive us of our God-intended future. It stifles any possibility of healthy development and deep Level healing. Some of us have struggled with growing as Christians. We we wonder why it's two steps forward and three steps back. Two steps forward and three steps back. Here's why: we're still holding on to this. If only, if only we still look back and we 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 tease our brains. We tease ourselves to think that if I say this every so often, oh, I wish if only I would have made a better choice. If only I would have did this. If only I would have said that. That somehow that's going to change the past. You cannot. We all know this in our better moments. You cannot, I cannot, no one can change the past. The past is just that. It is the past. And clever sayings about it that seem to make us feel better for a short few moments, all they're actually doing is poisoning us, depriving us of resilience we need to seize the God-given presence and construct the God-intended future. So it stifles any possibility of healthy development and deep level healing. This is why we don't really grow as Christians. We're still, if only, if only, we're looking back. It steals our peace and it cancels our what? You cannot have joy when you're stuck in a regret cycle. It's just an impossibility. So what what good comes from... This kind of thing. And and yet we all know that it kind of gives us a moment of satisfaction sometimes when we say it. Listen to these words from Isaiah chapter 48 verse 17. It says, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I'm the Lord your God who teaches you what is, what does it say? Best for you. Who teaches you, who teaches you what is best for you. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Do you believe that God knows what's best? And reveals to us in his word what's best for us in every single area of life. Do do you believe that God is smarter than you or I am when it comes to uh, the area of business or the areas that we've been trained in? Uh, Do you think that he's smarter, that he knows what's best, wants what's best when it comes to the way we handle our business, the way we handle our finances, the way we handle our relationships, the way we handle our sexual practices? Do you really believe that? Do you believe that he knows best in every single one of those areas? Because that's critical if we're going to break out of the if regret cycle. We have to be really convinced of that it says who teaches us what's best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. It's a clear scripture that reveals to us that God knows what's best, wants what's best, but he has to get our consent to go on if we could just glance at verse 18 here's where the problem comes in notice this is God's if only (laughs) he says if only too if only you had paid attention to my what my commands what would have happened what if I didn't listen to all God's commands he's writing to the people of Israel now again knowing that they were going to go into unnecessary bondage your peace would have been like a river. Your well-being like the waves of the sea. God only commands us, directs us for what is best for us. Listen, listen. you've got to settle this in your soul. If you're ever really going really to have God's best for your life, you and I must become convinced that God knows what's best for us, wants what's best for us, loves us more than we love ourselves. We don't really believe that on some levels. We, we think, you, you know, God, you, you don't... You don't quite understand what it's like to be human. You, you know, I, I have to have these certain things to be happy. I don't think you really understand. You're God. I'm a person. You don't really understand that we humans, we need certain little things to be happy. And so I can't really do this your way. If I do it your way, I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to feel safe. I'm not going to feel secure. I've got to do this part of my life my way. You don't really understand me, God. You don't really want me to be happy. And so I've got to do it some things your way, but I'm going to do these other things my way. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on that. But I know human nature. And until we get rid of that notion, until we believe, I mean believe as a core conviction that God cares more about your and my long-term lasting well-being, which brings happiness, joy that lasts, that lasts, the emphasis is on that lasts, until we believe it as a core conviction, we won't really probably take action on it. A guy named Ira Glass for uh, National Public Radio, he he talks about um, regret. He says, some regrets just never go away. People tell us they forgive us. We try to forgive ourselves. That's often the hardest part. And we still know we did wrong. We hurt somebody. It was real. And that feeling, it can do what to you? Immobilize. Immobilize you. It goes on. He says, if you're lucky, it teaches you something that you take into other situations. But I think often it's just like this pebble in your shoe that teaches you nothing. It doesn't slow you down, really. It just hurts. It just hurts in this way that does not stop hurting Now there's a lot of truth to what he says about regret, but is that it? Is that as good as it gets that our regrets, you know, they don't exactly stop us from moving through life, but they just keep us in pain throughout our life? Is that as good as it possibly gets, or or can God instruct us, show us a better way to handle the ifs, the if-onlys, the regrets? I want to suggest that there's a couple steps that we can take. There's three steps that can totally change things, and put us in a position to take regret and and literally use it as something to catapult us forward into the life that God would have us to, to experience. Three steps, here they are. We have to accept it. Every time you say, if only, I wish I could go back and change it, if only, if only, you are just Forcing yourself into a position where no one, not even God, can help you. You're paralyzing. You're poisoning your present. You're poisoning your soul. You've got to accept it. It happened. It happened. It is. The second thing then you have to do is you've got to leave it. If you keep revisiting it. Here's what I'm trying to say. You must make a resolve right here today that you're never ever going to allow that thought, oh, if I only knew, knew then what I know now, you got to resolve. I'm never going to allow that thought in my mind again. I'm never going to allow my lips or my mind to think, if only, if only I would have said this, if only I would have done that, if only I hadn't have done this, if only I'd have made a better choice. Until you resolve and I resolve, I'm, I'm never going to enter into that thought process again. We allow the poison to come back into our souls ruining our present and depriving us of our God-intended future because it's the circumstance that we're in that God wants us to embrace, to give thanks for, to make the best of, and God will make the best in us in those circumstances if we'll leave behind the ifs. And that's when we come to the third step, use it because we can learn from these things, and they can motivate us, but not in the way that you're thinking. You're thinking like, oh yeah, I learned never to start this, never to make that choice, never to, that's not what I mean. It's meant to teach us to learn to actually live a life in obedience to God. It's meant to to motivate us to say, you know, the rest of my life, the rest of the time that I have on this earth, I am going to make sure the best that I can, I'm going to go to God's Word, I'm going to learn His will, I'm going to learn His ways, and I'm going to live the rest of my life in every single area of my life, my time, my talents, my treasure, every area, I'm going to live it the way that God tells me to live it. That's what's meant by using it. If we do that, we can exchange the regret-filled if cycle that we might be stuck in and tormented by We can exchange it for a joy-filled, obeyed cycle. That's what I hope some of you, if not all of us, will be convinced by God to do today. We can do this. We can exchange it for the joy-filled, obeyed cycle. This is what it means. It means in the circumstances that I'm in now, right now, instead of looking back over my shoulder and saying, Oh, man, I wouldn't be here now if I hadn't done that. Until you stop that, you're stuck. You're going to be tormented. You're going to be crippled. You're never going to experience what God wants you to. Until you say, right in the circumstances that I am now in, I'm going to obey God fully. That's the secret to a joy-filled life, to an excellent life, to a life that is a blessing to you and a blessing to everybody that comes across your path. Obedience, obedience is a word we don't like. How many of you own up this? Have you ever had a time in your life where you said these words are something like these words. You're not going to tell me what to do. Nobody tells me what to do. How many have ever, ever uttered those? Isn't it funny? What, what makes us do that? We just, we just don't like somebody to tell us to do something. We may even want to do it, but if somebody tells us to do it, now we don't want to do it. Yeah. But why are we so resistant to obedience? I mean, we, we, we obey. We obey all the time. We just don't think about it. So, like, you make a, an appointment with a doctor. And so you're going to go see Dr. Goldenberg at 1 o'clock. And so you get to get Dr. Goldenberg's office, and you sit there from 1 until 1.30, right? And then the lady comes out and says, oh, Dr. Goldenberg is ready to see you now. So you now go back into the office. Do you see Dr. Goldenberg at 1.30? No, 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 no. You sit in the little room. <laughs> but you've obeyed. you obeyed. You obeyed coming at 1 o'clock just on time, even though you sat for another half hour. You obeyed going back into the room to see Dr. Goldenberg. But Dr. Goldenberg is not going to see you for another 20 minutes. You're, you're going to sit in the little room. But you obey. You don't think anything much about it. Then Dr. Goldenberg, just to pretend it's a stranger, a total stranger, <clears throat> Dr. Goldenberg is going to ask you all kinds of personal questions that a stranger should not ask anyone. (laughs) Dr. Goldenberg is going to touch you familiarly in a way that no stranger should touch someone. Dr. Goldenberg is going to say, take off all your clothes, (laughs) and you're going to do it. (laughs) You're going to obey a stranger. We do it all the time. So why we get so hung up about it? Well, why, why do we obey a doctor? I mean, we don't know who that doctor is. It could be the mad doctor. It could be the pervert doctor. Let's face it, we got, we got some bad ones today. But nevertheless, we obey the doctor because we believe the doctor has an interest in our well-being. We believe the doctor knows things that we don't know. We believe the doctor can bring healing to us in ways that we can't bring it to ourselves. In other words, we trust the doctor. Whether we should or not, we trust the doctor. And because we trust the doctor, we obey. If the doctor says, hey, I, I need to do some surgery. I need to cut you open and take one of your organs out and throw them away. We say, okay, okay. <laughs> doctor says, I want you to take these, these five pills a day. We don't know what the pills are. They could be dirt. We don't know. We, we t- Okay, we take them. We obey. Why? Because we trust the doctor and the doctor wants our highest well-being listen to these verses from the new testament book of romans it says through him and that him is jesus through him we have received grace and our apostleship the apostle paul is talking he says but but what is this apostleship for what is it supposed to bring to bring about the obedience of what of faith or of trust it's an obedience to God that is the result of my trust or my faith in God this is what God is trying to do on earth through Jesus heaven will be heaven because everybody in heaven will trust God completely and obey him always and that's what will make it the harmonious place that it is the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles on behalf of his name. It goes on in the 16th chapter to say this. The everlasting God ordered that what the prophets wrote must be shown to the people of every nation. God wants his truth, the truth about himself, the truth about life to be known by everyone, everywhere. But why? Why does he want us to know? To bring them to the what? Obedience, obedience that is associated with What? Faith. In other words, I am motivated by my trust in God, my faith in God, to obey Him. That's a good description of a Christian. A Christian is one that has come to conclude Jesus Christ, God, has revealed Himself in Christ, and He is utterly trustworthy. Therefore, I'm going to choose to obey Him joyfully and fully in every area of my life. Here's the thing about obedience. Obedience to our Creator is merely living in accordance with our design. I mean, you know whether you like it or not, you have to breathe, okay? You're just designed that way. You have to drink water every three days or so. You, you don't have a choice. It's the way you're designed. You have to sleep. You have to eat. You have to move. Living in accordance or living in obedience is just living with the way our Creator designed us. It's living by the laws of our nature. It is the only possible path to true freedom... And lasting joy. We think of freedom in terms of doing whatever we want, how we want, when we want. But that's not freedom. Freedom is like a train that is on the track. As long as it's on the track, it can go far and it can go fast. As long as it's on the track, it's free. If it comes off the track, it is no longer free. It stops. Think of a goldfish in a goldfish bowl. You know, it's swimming around. It's looking out. It's, it's you know, moving at will. But if it all of a sudden decided it's going to get up some speed because it wants to come out and watch TV with you on the couch. And, and it leaps out of the bowl. And comes down. it's free in the air for a little while, but then when it comes down on the couch, does it have freedom? No, no, no. It's gasping for breath because it's defying the laws of its being. When you and I learn the Word of God and His will that is in the Word of God, and we start aligning our lives with His Word and His will and His ways, what we discover is freedom. Freedom. And freedom from a regret-filled life at that Listen to these words from Ezekiel. Ezekiel was just after Jeremiah. He was living with the Israelites that were scattered all over as a result of the destruction from the Babylonians. He says, Now I, the sovereign Lord, am telling you, Israelites, that I will judge each of you by what you have done. Turn away from all the evil you are doing, and don't let your sin do what? When God tells us to turn away from sin, he's not trying to spoil our fun. But I, I, I can just hear some of you. I know what you're thinking. Randy, you know, that stuff, man, is for another day. I, I got certain things in my life. If I don't do those certain things, my life is not worth living. And so, you know, God doesn't get it. He don't know what it's like to be human. I mean, I don't see any harm. I'm not, I don't, I'm not seeing any consequences. It's not doing any damage. And God is here begging, saying, don't destroy yourself sin when god calls something sin it's because his knowledge is wider than ours and he knows that we are made with such fine tuning in his image certain things in our soul bring destruction whether we see it immediately emphasis on immediately we don't always see it immediately but we see it ultimately and sometimes the damage is going on and we don't even know it's going on until it's too late god says don't let sin destroy you he goes on He says, give up all the evil you have been doing and get yourselves new minds and hearts. That's a choice. And that's a choice we can make in those circumstances that maybe are less than ideal right now that make us want to look back and say, oh, if, 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 if only. Jesus, the last night he was with his disciples, he had something to say about obedience He said, if you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his love. But but why do you want us to obey you, Jesus? Why? I have told you these things so that my, what is the word? Joy. Joy may be where? In you. And your joy may be what? Complete. God is never one to be a spoil sport. He simply knows how we're designed. He says, man, I want you to have joy all the time. Now, here's what some of you've got to accept. If you want to walk out of here with a life-transforming day, you've got to let that if cycle go. You've got to let that if only go. You've got to stop looking back over your head. You've got to believe that in the circumstances that you are in now, the circumstances that sometimes may feel very, very difficult for you, you've got to believe that you can have joy right now. God-given joy, Jesus-like joy in those circumstances you got to you got to let go of the fatalism because as long as you're looking back and saying if only, oh i wish i'd have made better choices oh oh, oh you're stuck and you're going to stay stuck you've got to do those three things that i mentioned let me close with an illustration about a flight it was on september 21st 2005 a jet blue flight 292 it took off and almost immediately it had problem with the the landing gear and so they were very troubled, and they just started circling and circling and circling, trying to get the landing gear to get unstuck. And they finally decided they were just going to you know, burn all the fuel off and then try a crash landing. So the interesting thing was this, was as they were flying around, circling and circling, burning off all the fuel, the local TV stations got the cameras going, and they're, they're watching the plane fly around. And the people in the plane can see themselves on TV. They are essentially uh, or or, kind of almost watching their own demise uh, or potentially watching their own demise. And they ended up getting the landing gear uh, sufficiently unstuck. They they landed safely. Nobody died, 145 passengers. But here's the thing that stuck in my mind. If, If we are living knowingly, contrary to what we understand to be God's will in some area of our life. And I'm just going to be blunt with you. I know some of you are. Let's get real personal. We're we're, we're people here now. I know some of you are. You're living deliberately, intentionally, contrary to God's good, loving will in certain areas of your life. You know it. I know it. God knows it. Then you're like that plane. You're circling and you're you're just waiting for the crash. You may not think of it that way. You, you, may, not, you, you may think it's not going to be that way, but that's essentially what's happening. If you want to break out of that if, if cycle, if you want to break out of that regret cycle, here it is again. You've got to accept what happened in the past. Accept it. It happened. It's re, re, the new reality. But now leave it. Don't keep looking back on it and saying, oh, I wish I would have chose differently or if, if, if. if. Stop it. That will keep you poisoned in the present. That will deprive you of your god, intention fu- fu- god intended future. That will deprive you of healing and health. That will deprive you of joy. You've got to use, you've got to learn from that experience to say, you know what I'm going to do right now in the circumstance that I'm in, and for the rest of my life, I'm going to be obedient to God. I'm gonna obey him entirely. I'm gonna obey him in every area of my life. I'm never gonna go back again. I'm never gonna say those words again. I'm just gonna be obedient right now in every area, and I'm gonna trust him for what comes in the future. So I said it earlier, I've said it a few times. There's some of you. You you know, you know this is your curse. You know this is your poison, your poison, you know this is your Achilles heel. You've been doing this, some of you, for decades. Ah, if only. If I knew then what I know now. You're depriving yourself of joy and spiritual development in the present. And you're going to deprive yourself of a wonderful, joyful, God-intended future. But you don't have to. A loving God is here today begging you, will you just trust me and become obedient right in the circumstance that you are in. Let's pray. Father, you have given us such an opportunity this day. May your word pierce through our fears, pierce through our stubbornness, and set us free to live in the presence of your will, your ways, your word, and to experience your joy. We ask it in Christ's name, amen.